0: Hello, welcome to the Talking City podcast, talking all things Manchester City from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Joe Bray, back after a month off doing far more important things and watch Manchester City, joined by Simon Bajkowski, back from Copenhagen this week. How was your trip to
1: Scandinavia? Yeah, it feels like a very long time ago. Um, but it was nice. It was nice, nice, nice city. Um, plenty of City fans there. It mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, thanks to... Um, it was like a lone city fan outside my hotel at like 10 a.m. on the day of the game, just going through the whole songbook. <laughs> it was uh, quite the quite the experience. But yeah, it was a nice city, nice stadium and uh, a very good game.
0: It was, wasn't it? Because last year it wasn't a good game because yeah. there was no Ireland, there was a missed penalty, a red card and City sort of took a bit of nil nil, didn't they? But they couldn't do that. Hey, they had to play a strong team and they had to go for it
1: yeah and you know it's always a bit fu- well it's a bit further on in the competition yeah. um so things start to get going and um, it Copenhagen like picked a very attacking lineup um from the start they were like we are going to go for it so whereas last year I think you had sort of two teams who were happy with the point mm-hmm. uh you know Copenhagen would have been very happy with the draw in this game but they their intention was to attack to earn that draw or win for them so um, yeah I very much enjoyed it it's uh, it's it's one of them where I
0: think that stadium always generates a decent game if that makes sense it, it feels like apart from last year uh, yeah but but when United went that was a good game it seems like the
1: yeah, e- yeah. E- games were although to be honest I was a bit disappointed in the TIFO like oh, look, I didn't understand what it's, well what the one it for United was? game was like incredible yeah. you know that the stuff of nightmares and you know, going back to a previous game, whereas this was just like Copenhagen. It was like, okay. Um, And then I think City are very, very good at um, killing atmospheres at grounds like that. Um, I sort of thought, wow, because the the game kicks off and there's like a huge noise from the Copenhagen fans and and City fans get on the ball and there's huge whistles and huge boos and it's like, yeah, I'm really going to make the difference for our team. And then City don't give up the ball. And the whistles go on, Mm -hmm. and City don't give up the ball. And the whistles go on, and then City do give up the ball. And there's a great cheer. And then ten seconds later, City get the ball again. And like it's you know, terrific intent from the fans. But when you realise that you know, if City have got the ball for eighty percent, you're booing for like sixteen minutes out of twenty, like (laughs) twenty-four minutes out of thirty. You you can't keep that up. So. It it was sort of this big start from the fans to, you know, give their team a head start. And then when it became clear that City were just in charge, it kind of went a bit, oh, 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 right. Okay, they don't really care what we're doing. So, um, yeah, you know, it it, it was a good atmosphere, but I don't necessarily think it helped their team.
0: I always think now, I think I wrote it in our blog, that they're, boo- they're whistling and booing, but are they going to keep that up for 90 minutes? And Yeah. Very, very hard to do, so as you say, I'm just looking for the uh, the possession stats, 79%.
1: Yeah, city, at, so. yeah, and it was over, I think it was 83 after 30 minutes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because Copenhagen were averaging like a pass a minute, which was, <laughs> yeah, it, it was brutal. Like, we were looking at each, each other, at the press box, like, wow, the City are... Really meaning business here, and they're just not giving them a sniff.
0: I was, I was going to ask you this later on, but that sort of ties into it a little bit. It was a very, very strong lineup, probably City's strongest of the season because you had Alan De Bruyne, Bernardo in that front three, front three. You had Ake and Walker and John Stones at the back as well. That first twenty minutes, City get the goal. It was probably City's strongest eleven of the season. Was that City's best twenty
1: minutes of the season? I think it was. Um you know, you have to weigh it up against kind of opposition yeah. and Copenhagen have done very well to get to the last 16 and you know, if we say, what, are United in the table like sit 7th, so maybe Copenhagen are that level, but you know, City have had very good spells against um, say Liverpool and Tottenham uh, and, and teams like that, so you sort of have to, have to weigh it the last 20 minutes at Newcastle were very good um, but as a kind of complete performance, we mean business. And also because it was the start of the Champions League knockouts, you know, Guardiola always talks about arriving to February in like the right moment. And they arrived and then it was like, oh, yeah, you know, anyone watching this game will know City mean business and they're going to be very difficult to beat. So as a kind of statement, that opening 20 minutes was was as emphatic as it comes, really.
0: The word I was getting was control. It was just so controlled all the way through. Get that goal early on to silence a crowd and and take control. Literally, the Edison mistake handed it back a little bit to Copenhagen. But even then, by half time, City were back in it,
1: weren't they? It was it, the mentality I thought was quite negative. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I think I think Grealish going off lost that kind yeah. of momentum. Whether it was losing a player who is all about control. It must have been at least part of that as well. Just kind of the disruption of kind of that happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe it kind of offset the team and allowed Copenhagen to get mm-hmm. back. Um, but yeah, Copenhagen had just kind of been having a few kind of more, positing, more positive bits of play. And then um, Edison Howler and his 1-1. And then, like, yeah, see, he did lose that control and they weren't really on top um until the last few minutes before half time and then they get the goal and it, it kind of set the second half up for them to kind of come out a bit more um positive again. But it was, you know, another example of all the times we've seen where they have all the momentum in the Champions League and then it just suddenly goes. Um so you know, like you say, it was it was a good mentality to get back in front, but um it was kind of a reminder of yeah, for however well we talk about how they played in the first 20 minutes, it was still one all after 35. So <laughs> you've got to make the most of it when you do play well. And its is it one clean
0: sheet in the Champions League this season? They've, they've got a habit of conceding sort of yeah. necessary goals against someone to play, whether it's just a, a long ball through the middle or and just a mistake this time. It's a lot of three-ones, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's not. I think it was um, bit two out of the last 11 or... Three out of the last 11 and two of them were the Club World Cup. They're just not saving shots or doing enough to keep (laughs) clean sheets. Like, you know, it was silly, that Edison thing. But, you know, you can go back so many, like Brentford, who's a straight long ball over the top um, from the goalkeeper and, you know, various different ways of conceding a goal where the common theme is just kind of bad defending. Yeah. Um, just a one lapse of judgment isn't it yeah but like I, I tweeted during the game I think like it's 11 clean sheets in 37 this season now you think like that is not the record of a team that is let's say on course to win the treble in with a chance of winning a treble and yet they are so you kind of think that the clean sheet record would have to improve in these last few months of the season but maybe it doesn't, maybe they just keep doing what they're doing and you know scoring more goals than the opposition well they scored three goals in every game in the champions league which i
0: think is a record of yeah odds. yeah yeah when you when you're scoring three goals you expect to win a game don't you and yeah i think they have won
1: all of them so this
0: is it i think it's something that this Guardiola will probably want to improve and i think john stone said last week that if they want to keep this winning run going they need to keep clean sheets to take the pressure off attackers on games where it's not always working in front of goal and then edison goes and does that but you see the point that he's making, don't you?
1: It's... Yeah, yeah. And it and it did feel like that kind of... They got a bit more stability after the... You know, with the Club World Cup, really. It, it felt like that was kind of a reset where they were like, yes, we yeah. can go and defend again. And then, you know, they conceded at Everson, but then it was a clean sheet against Sheffield United, a clean sheet against Huddersfield and... a. Um, you know, a clean sheet at Tottenham later that month. So it, it has felt like they've become more solid, but then something like that happens and you say, well, it is a one-off, but they've been doing a lot of one-offs this season. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of one-offs that in December after they lost to Villa, they were like, they all had a meeting because they were like, this isn't good enough. So, but like I said, they, they won and they're still doing well. So, you know, Guardiola will want the best defensive record and his teams have had the best defensive records. Like, through to winning tyres. Last year, how do you win the treble? You get four massive centre-backs to play in defence and, and go from there. But having said that, they're, they're still winning despite the poor record of, of keeping out goals. So something's working.
0: I suppose if a striker's not scoring, you say, well, if he's getting in the, channel, in, in the right areas and creating the challenges, yeah. he's doing well. So you can say if a defence isn't keeping clean sheets, it's individual mistakes. That's okay.
1: Yeah, and if like, you know, chances, shots on target and chances created are quite low, which they usually are with City, um, then it is, you do put that more down to a big sort of anomalous and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, the flip side of it is they've been very, very good in attack.
0: I think they scored goals at the right time at the end of each injury time, I think, of each half. That's a sign of a sort of a ruthless side, not just playing for the draw, playing for the point, playing for the one goal lead.
1: Yeah. That photo goal at the end. Well, that was it, because it was a bit of a... It wasn't a big rewrite, but, it, you yeah. know, until that point, it was like, Copenhagen are still very much in this Definitely, tie. Yeah. Like, they won't... Fan, they won't be favourites to yeah. it at the end, but 2-1, there's a chance, you know, no away goals. Um, they could pull off a shot, whereas it, it's very hard or even harder to think that they can win mm-hmm. by at least two goals at City when City haven't lost there in so long. So... um I yeah, it was the kind of and do you know what City's player deserved to be at least the two goal margin as well, so it was kind of like finally getting what they deserve from the play, but it still needed someone to stick the ball in the net and do it and and they could have been winding down time at the corner flag if they'd wanted to, so um, yeah, a, a, a sign that City are in the mood where they think they can kind of punish teams at the end of Halves and maybe you know a lot was made before the game uh, about the fact that Copenhagen hadn't played in two months, which is which I still find mad. <laughs> um, you know, and not played a competitive game yeah. since the end of the Champions League group stage. Maybe the end of each half was just a bit too much for them physically.
0: I got the impression in the second half that City had the two the two one lead and were not necessarily pushing too many men forward to get a goal because they had the lead and they didn't want to concede another one. Copenhagen didn't want to push too many men forward to concede a third. Yeah. But then I think it was, it looked like it was just Foden and De Bruyne took it upon themselves in, in the last minutes. About like, you know what? We've, we've got a space here. We've got a, an opportunity. And Foden has, there's been a lot of talk of him in the centre. It was always going to happen that when De Bruyne comes back, Alvarez is there, Bernardo's there. He's not going to get as many minutes in the centre, but he seems to have taken... What he's learned in that time back out back out on the wing, and I thought it was quite an influential performance. And it's not the first time that he's taken a great game by the his and his neck on his own. Yeah, and he, he's to, not
1: to win it. Really. He's not really been out on the wing like he he should have been, but mm. he, he's not been. Yeah. You get what I mean? Like at uh, Brentford on last week, it kind of looked like oh he's he's going to be out wide, and then yeah. he just kind of moved into the middle and scored three goals, yeah. and then um, you know he. he He is spending time out wide, um, but he's able to come in. If I get the start of the season when they beat Newcastle 1-0 at home, and he was like, he was, yeah, nominally wide, but then he came inside to take people on and set things up, and that's how they got the goal. And I think it was shortly after that when Southgate said, oh, well, he played wide against Newcastle. And you're like, well, yeah, if you put in like dots on a, on a map, then maybe. But if you're looking at heat maps or anything like that, then you'd see that the important things he's doing through the middle. And, and and again at Copenhagen, like there was a lot through the middle that he that he did. Um, I mean, it's kind of De Bruyne has squeezed out Alvarez, which is what we expected. But when De Bruyne sort of returned, Foden and Alvarez had kind of scored and assisted loads between them. Mm-hmm. And now I think the last. 10 goals that he have scored Foden or De Bruyne have been responsible for 7 or 8 of them so it's kind of like Foden has kept his role as chief creator um, while De Bruyne has come back and, and Alvarez you know it could have been Foden or Alvarez who went really but Foden's kept there and is in amazing form I think we're guilty of using the word undroppable
0: a bit too much but he's, he's approaching that stage I now mean, if you're picking a game an eleven to win a big game. He's in there, isn't
1: he? Yeah, you'd think so. And, um, you know, I think there's still a battle over, um, you know, whether he can play in the middle. But one thing he has got from the middle that he really loves, his responsibility to win a game. Yeah. And I don't want to kind of rewrite history because I think a few years ago he was he was scoring very important goals. But it feels like more than ever he's becoming a leader in the team and really like stepping up responsibility yeah. to score that third goal to see him see him through or the assist for the first one to set him on the way like he wants to be the main man now yeah. and he can see a pathway to becoming that main man and it's never really been clearer for him to do that so he, he's, he's you know as, as he would he's kind of taking the opportunity as it arrives.
0: I think he's not just scoring the important goals he's dictating the play and like you say, the one to sort of haul his teammates there where it might have been De Bruyne in the past or Haaland, it's, it's Foden as well now, which is uh, quite daunting for the for opposition sides. Um, that is the end of our first part of uh, the Copenhagen review. We'll come back and uh, look at a couple more things and look ahead to uh, Chelsea at the weekend. Welcome back to the Talking Sissy podcast. Before we get into a couple of uh, individual performances aside from Phil Foden, a question I've got on this uh, schedule here is, is the Champions League boring? That's uh, something I'm not
1: really sure about the history of this question. Well, it's come from our producer who, um, who looked at the Champions League ties and said he didn't fancy watching any of them <laughs> because he knew who was going to win. And is the Champions League more boring than ever? Which I have seen asked this week, to be fair. Um... I kind of think everyone just forgets that the last sixteen happens every year, mm-hmm. and then the last sixteen comes round, and every year it's like, oh, it's rubbish this Champions League, and um, and then it gets the quarters, and everyone's like, oh, amazing, all the eight best teams, and it's like, yeah, the eight, they're the eight best teams that like um, won their last sixteen matches. You said you knew they were going to win their last sixteen matches, so. Um, yeah, but he's kind of also, you know, CV Copenhagen isn't the blockbuster fixture. It could have been. It could have been CV United, although it couldn't because <laughs> of, you know, you can't draw English teams. But Copenhagen got through the group against United. So, it, you know, this one one European powerhouse with pedigree of winning the competition isn't in the last 16, but that's because they weren't good enough to beat Copenhagen. Yeah. And uh, in a world where everyone always moans about the top team. Winning everything—it's quite nice that um, some of the smaller clubs can make it, make it through the unfancied clubs. Um, but it—it's kind of has to be a bit of a talking point as well because Champions League is changing. So,
0: well, yeah. If, if, if someone would think that this is boring, they're not necessarily going to get the same format again, are they? Because it's
1: yeah, yeah. And we wait to see how. How it changes it, mm-hmm. but you sort of think you see you've got extra group games. Is that going to be less boring than than this? Well,
0: is the idea that more big teams play each other in the groups still not really come ahead? Yeah, out there anymore,
1: I, I think it is, but there's so many teams in it that, yeah. and there's so little. You know, there's so little. You say more big teams play each other in groups, but there's still so little jeopardy around the group stage. Yeah. Maybe there's going to be a bit more, but it, it just feels like, yeah. Uh, I know. I think the Champions League becomes good when it's, as you
0: say, the big teams playing each other and only one can go through.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I take Copenhagen
0: had not conceded that third goal. Yeah, or even managed to scrape a draw. That second leg's got a lot of jeopardy in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last year with Leipzig got yeah. one all. It was really like poised for the second leg, and then <laughs> Erling Haaland just blew it run away. Yeah. But um, it's it, it's interesting because you know. We're starting to talk about the treble and it's like who can stop City winning the treble and Champions League obviously it's always Real Madrid. But then you look at kind of who else in Europe and, and there's yeah, there's not really anyone we've seen from the last sixteen that you think. Well, Bayern Newman maybe Bayern were the one that everyone was saying, Oh well these have got the yeah the players. Yeah, yeah. And you know, PSG were favourites against Sociedad, but you always expect PSG to mess up, so mm. you know, maybe they could be there. I if City make it past Copenhagen, I feel like there might be a an Arsenal test a lot of the way. Oh, think... I,
0: don't, I don't think I'm ready for that. Well, you think about,
1: like, 17-18 when they won 100 points, but yeah. Liverpool in the Champions League. Next year, 98 points, but Tottenham in the Champions League. like, And just someone knows, someone who knows how to make it difficult for City is Mikel Arteta mm-hmm. in Arsenal. And, yeah, I just kind of think at any stage, really, quarter, yeah. semi or final, it would be a real... Pest the city, and one that they they would struggle with. So I think you can yeah. certainly add Arsenal to Real Madrid as kind of the two biggest threats to City in the Champions League.
0: That should be a like a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I completely agree with the way you you <laughs> your, your point up, I think you've, you've got a very
1: uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I've And seeing Arsenal being City twice this season, yeah, in you on know, penalties. Do you you know what makes the Champions League feel more mundane to me this season? Seeing a sign when we were out there saying road to London. Yeah. You know, like last year, it was like Istanbul. It felt very, um, you know, far-flung place and exotic. And, you know, half in Asia, it's a real kind of – I'm throwing out all the cliches. But but you think of London and Wembley and – like, you know, they might be there a week before for the FA Cup final. They might be there three weeks before that for the FA Cup 7. It's not going to feel like a Champions League final, isn't No, it? no, no. And certainly, like, all the City fans travelling out to Istanbul and fighting, yeah. like, the different bars and everything, whereas it's going to be like, all oh, right, should we go the same booze we go eight times a year? Mm-hmm. Like, right, okay. Um, so, yeah. But then I'm sure no one will be complaining if City make it there, but... Um,
0: I'd say there would be a bigger allocation but the way that you wait for do it they'll probably still get about <laughs> like ten thousand, and yeah and that will be that and um, back to the game i'm going to ask you this mainly for my own revision what was the deal with pep's comments on Haaland's body language because it, it, it for someone who hasn't necessarily paid for yeah say, like, last yeah weeks
1: yeah um so it's quite strange actually um pep had spoken about the body language of his players um, on Saturday after the Everton match in the press conference, saying the first half wasn't quite good enough, needed to be better. He, he then he does like you know a thousand broadcast interviews, yeah. and one of them had been for Norwegian broadcaster, where he said he talks about Haaland specifically, yeah, and whether that is. You can choose to say, oh, he's singling out Haaland, or you can say, well, you know, Haaland is the Norwegian yeah. market. He's talking about what's relevant. Um, so, you know, you're always thinking about what to ask before a game, and, uh, and a few people were thinking about, about body language because um, he's spoken about it generally, and he'd spoken about it with Haaland. So, um, yeah, he was asked. And and he gave some quite good answers, and sometimes yeah. he doesn't give answers and shuts down. And you you're always careful as well because because he knows that you you want a story from his press conference, yeah. um, and he knows how big Erling Haaland is, and he doesn't want the story to be Pep slams Erling Haaland. Yeah. Um, and I I sort of think the story might have been bigger if Haaland hadn't scored the two. Yeah. Because he was sort of like, Oh, he well, I told him he needed to relax and be more involved and then he scored two goals. Whereas if he hadn't, it could have been like yeah. thrown forward to the Copenhagen game like Harlan needs to relax if yeah, he yeah, scores yeah. if he is to score goals again. Whereas it's been, oh right, well he, he needed to he needs to relax but he's also scoring goals again. Um so yeah, a very roundabout and sort of dull way of saying that it kind of, it was interesting what Pep said about Haaland and his mm-hmm. body language, but it was also interesting what he said about the whole team and their body language. Yeah. Um,
0: because it felt against Everton that it was, something was off in the first half.
1: Yeah, so but something was off that, about yeah. ev- everyone in the first yeah. half. That was the, the thing. You know, what I found more interesting than the Brescomers before the game was him saying, talking about the, the body language of everyone at the club, and that it was so different to when he arrived eight years ago. And it's the sort of thing that when he arrived eight years ago and for all those years when he was thinking nobody at this club wants to win the Champions League or not enough people want to win the Champions League, he's not going to come out and say it. But now he feels like everyone wants to win the Champions League. He feels safe and happy enough that he can say, you know what, back then, I didn't think they did. And, you know, you think back to when they went out against Monaco in the first year and then... He, 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 the manager has always said that everyone needs to be pulling in the same way and they are now and they weren't before and it, it felt like they weren't before and it's not to say that they definitely weren't before just because the manager said it, said it but the manager saying it is quite a big sort of vindication of yeah, things can't have been Right before, because you know, even if they were him thinking they weren't, means that they weren't. Um, so, so yeah, at the minute, the body language of the city players is good, and the body language of the whole club is let's go and win another Champions League, please. But the nature of Irving Harlan's sort of
0: celebrity means that any sort of slightly negative thing is pounced upon, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, but and also, you know, he's like the biggest driver of online traffic and yeah. a seller of newspapers and he's the big number nine so yeah. you know the manager uh, and it, it it's you know everyone cares about what things he buys from the supermarkets and what he does with all of his kind of uh, personal and football life um, and if Guardiola is telling Haaland to do something or to like change something then it's of interest so it was interesting, but it, it wasn't sort of like wasn't like a witch hunt no. or anything like that. And I think after again, sometimes you speak to Pep and he he doesn't give very much up, does he? Or he's not in the mood for answering such questions. Um but the other night he was, but then the more questions of than there were, yeah. I think he actually said like, Oh God, it's not like yeah me saying anything about Erling, it's the whole thing, but because um, he's aware of that, isn't he? He's aware of yeah, as and how big a story it can create. Yeah, yeah, and um you know he doesn't want people going to Earling or people around Earling without perhaps been slagging you yep. off. Um, so yeah, I I thought it, it it could have been kind of interpreted as criticism, but I think it was it is more kind of like the manager. Wanting the best from his player and the player wanting the best from his manager. So, like, like all these things, when like Pep argues with Haaland or anyone else, like on the pitch at yeah. time or full time, like some of them, you know, might not like it. But Haaland is always one who like yeah. wants to improve every second of his life, so he's going to take. I it. think body language is one of them buzzwords as well. A bit like
0: Calvin Phillips's weight, where yeah, people will jump in it and go, oh, "That's a massive criticism." When actually, when you dig down and see the context, it's like well actually it's not as big a deal as, yeah, and uh, maybe not the right comparison.
1: But. No no but also when we talk about body language at City we're normally talking about how is your body language when you're not in the team mm-hmm. are you a Cancel or a Mares who sulks yeah. when you're not in the team and that with it's kind of weighted association with kind of like detracting from the team whereas you know the, there's the potential for someone being unhappy on the pitch to uh, detract from the team or whatever, but it, it's not quite the same thing as, as that it's not as big a deal as that really Well, we've sorted
0: that out you've given me all the context I need to know <laughs> going forward, I'm sure I'll be asking you some more things of what's happened there uh, over the last month or so, we'll come back and we'll uh, discuss the Chelsea game coming up as City look to extend their winning run Hello, welcome back to the final part of the Talking City podcast. Before we continue, we have an interview with David Bernstein coming up in the next couple of weeks. It'll be online, on the podcast right here, and on video. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. It looks set to be a very interesting one. Chelsea are up next for City. Is it 13 games unbeaten? 11 wins in a row, 14 games unbeaten, isn't it? For, For City now, and Chelsea might be one of the tougher ones. They're not on they've not been in great form all season but that 4-4 at Stamford Bridge showed that they can cause City problems
1: it showed once again that a Pochettino team can cause City yeah. problems and I think we left Stamford Bridge thinking yeah Chelsea could really kick on now and <laughs> they really haven't um, and so they should be less of a problem but a Pochettino side can always cause City problems and uh, He's yeah
0: got number, hasn't he? he knows how to sort of get under his skin
1: yes yeah yeah um, and so it's going to be like City should win because Chelsea have been so inconsistent um, and so poor really that you would ban City winning um, and you would like to think as well that City are in a much better state um, in the season you know when they went to Stamford Bridge things just weren't quite there um, they they lost, they gave up a lot of control. I think it was a surprise to see Doku start if I remember, because it was kind of sort of City giving in a bit to the plan that Chelsea wanted, which was this kind of high speed game, up and down, up and down. Um, I think, I mean, obviously Grealish injury is kind of a bit of a, a blow for that kind of, for the game plan that City would want to play, but um, I would expect City to sort of have more of a say on their own turf about how the game is going to be played.
0: And was was it three home games against Chelsea last season and three clean sheets? It was, it's a different Chelsea side, but City are more comfortable against Chelsea when they
1: Yeah, I mean, the Chelsea... One of them was after the title. The one that was the day after they'd won the title was one of the poorest games I've seen <laughs> from a Chelsea it was so bad because Pep like changed his whole team yeah and he, right well they might not win here and they, they didn't even have to do anything to win I still mm-hmm. think Alvarez just like walked through the whole yeah. defence and scored Um, it was it was really really flat and you were like this is a Chelsea team in need of a a coach and maybe a billion pounds worth of signings to really reinvent another them. Billion yeah and they've had a coach they've had another billion pounds and and they're not really much better um, you know, maybe they fight a bit harder, but they're still so inconsistent. So, but again, you would kind of expect City in this form of of uh, of wins to be far too strong for them. That leads quite
0: well again into another talking point. In that, I think that Chelsea league game was Cole Palmer's only goal involvement for City in the Premier League it was Only goal involvement, he got the assist for, right. for, the, uh, for the goal. He's made that decision to leave. we spoken about it a lot and he's absolutely bossing it at Chelsea. He's going to be the big talking point, isn't he, this weekend? Was he right to leave or was City right to leave? I think he said at the weekend that he goes out to prove that City were wrong. I think the way I look at it is that he is proving City right because they always knew he was going to do well and at the same time you look at the City side, there's no way he's getting the same amount of of game time. If he'd stayed at City, it's just it. It's a shame that he's not at City anymore. But it feels like it's proving to be the best move for all parties.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd throw it back to you if you want to expand on it because I know you wrote about it yesterday or the day before. I did. I needed a, a talking point, so I got <laughs> I got in there early before
0: all the other uh, Cole Palmer's pieces. But it's. I was looking at the stats and his what would his closest comparison be his competitor be at city Oscar Bob, Jeremy Doku somewhere in between Bob's I think he started one Premier League game. Doku started a few more, but he's not going to have started sixteen or seventeen as he has at Chelsea, is he? And he's needed those games to become a sort of first team player for for Chelsea. I just don't think the talk and it's not as easy as saying even today that City he would have done exactly the same thing and Scored all those goals. He certainly wouldn't have been on penalties, and I think it's five or six penalty goals he's he's scored. It's it is a shame to see a City graduate do well somewhere else, and I'm sure he does want to prove them wrong and say and show that he should have been starting. But I don't think any player, unless you call Kevin De Bruyne or
1: Erling Haaland, starts every single game. No, and you know it is a shame both because of the huge potential that he had that he's now showing. And also because he seemed the most direct replacement for Maras in terms yeah. of skill set, so, so you weren't expecting Maris to go, and that's partly why Palmer was always expected to go. Um, but then when Maras went, it was kind of, um, you know, oh, Palmer's surely the one. But after so much time has passed, and I think, I think as you say, it is kind of like a vindication of. City's policy because they're never that precious about players and if players want to go they say right we're strong enough to to cope without you and that you know of course extends to like Omar Barada and Jason Wilcox and people like that if you want to go you go thanks for everything you've done we'll carry on winning without you yeah. um, and so yeah it has been a shame to see Palmer go but like, what a winner from Oscar Bob at Newcastle. What levels from Oscar Bob this season. Oscar Bob wouldn't have played those minutes if Palmer had been there. They would have yeah. probably been Palmer's. And if Palmer had scored the goal that Bob did at Newcastle, we'd have all been like, amazing. We've known this player was going to be yeah. amazing for years, and he is, look at him. Um So, you know, there will be some disappointment at City that Palmer's left, but also great joy at how well... Bob has stepped up, and um, those you know that one thing leads to the other, and you know City haven't missed Palmer um, in a, in a way that say they've missed Gundogan. Um, so you know it might be the case that Palmer goes on to win the Ballon d'Or, and Oscar Bob doesn't come close to winning the Ballon d'Or, and you sort of say, right, well, City Really did let one go, and forty two millions a a bargain for Chelsea and and all that, but based on what we've seen this season, like, great, the Palmer's doing what he's doing, but, it, it's not really, it doesn't show up as a mistake that City let him go.
0: And if, if the sort of going rate for City sitting academy player was about 10 or 20 million over the last couple of seasons, mm. now it's 40 odd. Yeah. If your best academy players are capable of doing that, having never scored in the Premier League beforehand, it could have a knock-on effect when they're negotiating the best players.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, obviously, like, there was no kind of sell on for Palmer in the deal with Chelsea because it's a rare transfer between kind of rivals. But, you know, if you, it, it's just really hard to judge. And, like, you know, City were backed into a bit of a corner on, um, with Jaden Sancho when he sort of made it clear he was leaving. They did very well, really, to get 8 million for him from Dortmund. But then he's so good at Dortmund and it's like, oh, what fee City could have got? And they, you know, United then buy him for X amount. So I think City made like 17 or 18 mil off off Sancho. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, it's great, but, you know, he's going for like 70, 80 million. You look at him now and United just coated him off and turned his value to zero again. So... It's like suddenly, see, you've got 80 million for a player that United refused to play every week or United have refused to play for months and he's back at Dortmund. So it, you never, it, it's never easy to judge sort of whether it was right or wrong to get X amount for a certain player and often it changes over time. But at where we are today, it looks pretty good. Um, from a City point of view and a Chelsea point of view? I'm and Palmer's point of view?
0: Oh, definitely from Palmer's point of view. I might be showing what I've been doing over the last month, but we've had deal or no deal on quite a lot. It feels like they've taken a, what seems to be a good offer. The offers have then gone up in their absence, but in the end, what you mentioned is it could be in 10 years' time an incredibly good deal as, as it seems to be. So, yeah. I also think with you mentioned that Palmer was probably the most natural Marvis replacement. City aren't playing with the right w- winger anymore, are they? They're, they're using Kyle Walker as a width. And as we mentioned. Yeah. Foden's coming inside, Bernardo's coming inside. It's one of those where you wouldn't probably ask Palmer to do that. He's good in the middle, but he's not better than Bernardo or Foden in that position. So no, It's, it's another one where I don't think he had a, a spot where he was number one in that City.
1: No, I think, you know, you know, Guardiola deals with the players that he's got. So it might be one where had Palmer been available and Palmer um, scored in the Winner Shield, he scored in the Super Cup. So he'd shown this season after... <coughs> so after sort of 18 months of not doing very much at all, he'd shown that he could contribute and maybe it was this summer or whatever where he said, right, you know, I'm going to step it up. And... Yeah. Chelsea have seen the benefit of of that. Um, But also, well done City for getting 42 million out of him. Well done, Jason Wilcox and everyone else involved, because Palmer nearly got let go at 16. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wasn't deemed good enough. And it was certain people who stepped in and said, we need to keep this kid. Um, And I don't know what, is he like 21 now maybe? Mm -hmm. But like, you know, in five years you've made... 40 million he, he's much less of a sort of a loss to City now having made 40 million on him than he would be if they'd let him go at 16 Chelsea had sapped him up and he was now you know one of the top scorers in the league I think the first
0: time well I know the first time sorry, I saw him I've mentioned this before I think you were there as well the FA Youth Cup final and he misses the decisive penalty as a 15, 16 year old yeah and I, I remember thinking oh that could like that could be the last we ever hear of this kid and look at him now he's it's yeah probably gonna be in the England squad, yeah, yeah, somewhere and he definitely wouldn't have been if he'd stayed at city, so no it's it's one of them. I think he will probably have a good game at city
1: and yeah although, although Jimmy Scott. it will be interesting to see the reaction on Saturday from the yeah. fans, um you know what reaction he gives and what reaction he gets. I seem to think it was a bit prickly at Sanford Bridge, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe a few chance um. And, you know, I get that and nobody's going to tell fans what to, what to do. But it's an interesting one because sort of we in the media have probably sort of have a higher opinion of him than a lot of fans just because we, if we've so spoken to coaches and kind of know what his potential was or what people thought he could go on to achieve, whereas like, you can't get away from the reality that for like 18 months he was pretty underwhelming. His last 18 months, yeah. you see, in the team, he was pretty average. So I think Oscar Bob
0: has done what Palmer couldn't in yeah. the space of six months, which is score a Premier League goal and come on and make a difference. I think when Palmer came on, he, he, never, he was always trying to do the right thing, but suppressing his natural instincts.
1: Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, and, and they will see someone who's turned their nose up at staying and fighting, it, yeah. see, to go to uh, to Chelsea so you know I yeah I will be interesting to see um, the reaction and it will yeah be interesting to see if um, I, he didn't celebrate at Stamford Bridge I don't think no, I think he, I not think he made much. a big point of not celebrating yeah um, and you know Raheem as well after his time at City um, who got a I think Sterling got a better reception than, yeah. than did in did in the first game
0: I think it helps when those players have left and they're tending the league rather than yeah title rivals as well
1: yeah yeah um, but yeah I mean back to the sort of talk of the the team game I sort of think they will have Palmer and Sterling will have less to celebrate than mm-hmm. than they did in the the first game this season
0: onto the City team it looks like we'll be without or we'll definitely be without Cavardi he's got a two or three week absence probably Grealish it doesn't seem like he'll recover from a Muscle injury, but we'll see what Pep says later this afternoon. Bernardo got a knock, probably back. You would say it was a bit of a nasty challenge, wasn't it? That maybe lucky to get away with a yellow card, and Kovacic might be back as well. So it's going to be a bit another bit of a mixed match Yeah,
1: attack. I'm I'm always uh, loath to put to diagnose players based on their uh, <laughs> their journeys through the mix zone, but the way Bernardo Silva ran away from us would suggest he's he's probably <laughs> all right. I think that's just a natural, uh, natural yeah. reaction from a city player yeah, sees a journalist. It's pretty speedy. Um but yeah, Bernardo's seemed more of a knock I and mean, he yeah. really seemed like a, an injury. Yeah. Um and Kovacic, yeah, may maybe we might see him back, but, but I wouldn't have I wouldn't expect him to start. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um oh. but yeah, I I think I think we're far more likely to see Bernardo Silva in the team. And yeah, he's down sort of. Potentially Alvarez back? Well, he's one of those that that spot on the left is open, but you can always shunt Bowden to the left and yeah. let him come in. So yeah, you're talking Alvarez or Docu or Bob, really.
0: Yeah. yeah it's. Uh, I think Docu was an interesting one because when he came on, I thought, okay, he's a different type of player. But he's doing quite well, he's changing he's been quite direct. And then put your halftime ratings in the in the blog <laughs> at four or a five and it works to impress. So it depends if they want to go control.
1: Yeah, I'd not be the one. Yeah. I um I just thought his first touch wasn't good mm-hmm. and it it was I think, you know, going from Grealish you'd played really well, it was kinda like you never know where Doku's touch is taking it. <laughs> and um, there was um saw at the weekend who said you know like Harlan must hate playing with Doku I thought oh why, why? and then <laughs> but he's like because you never know when he's going to release the ball you never yeah. know as a striker when the ball is coming to you from Doku because it seems like he doesn't know himself and you know he's spoken this week about needing to improve <sighs> that yeah. control element and then uh, it was only after that conversation I then saw something on Twitter that was like, Doku and Haaland have had over a thousand minutes together this season, and there's not been one assist. And you think, well, yeah. So, you know, Haaland can't enjoy playing very much with, um, with Doku, because he's not had an assist from him, and and things like like that. So, I I don't, it's tough. And, you know, I saw also start saying like, Doku's done, X, Y and Z in the Champions League with dribbles this season that no one else has and, and whatever but I, I just I kind of want to see a gold threat for the for the dribbles and the beating you men and I didn't feel like I saw enough of that on Tuesday
0: I was watching I think I think it was the Everton game with my dad who watches a lot of lower league football and non-league football and less so Premier League and he really wasn't a fan of Doku because he said well he's, he'll beat his man but then he won't beat the first man of yeah. course. and then to make up for it he'll go to the back post but he'll over hit it and it's it was sort of like a fresh pair of eyes to yeah, to say. yeah. once he said that I was like okay yeah I, I can see that and you've got there yeah. about Haaland not getting an assist you, you can you can see why he would feel that
1: yeah putting words in Haaland's mouth but, no no yeah but it, it's just like if I if I'm watching the game I can generally tell when players are going to release the ball yeah um, I can generally tell, like, I mean, he's quicker than most as well. So, you, but, you know, I couldn't tell you if he's going to knock the ball tw- 10 yards okay. past his man, like dribble past him or sort of try a flick that ends up giving it back to the opponents. And I feel like he did all three on, uh, on Tuesday and it, it would just kind of, yeah, you don't want to sort of say, oh, you should never take a risk, but it, it felt like part of City losing their control was a, a player in possession who would quite often lose control. And I think
0: after the game, you had Foden and De Bruyne both saying that their relationship is so natural they know when the other's going to make the run and make the pass, and you have Bernardo getting to the byline, you know what pass he's going to play in. And... Yeah,
1: and, and we shouldn't forget he's really young and he's adapted Absolutely. to this team, and, you know, the same with... uh the definition the... of reward, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone's very excited to see what, Pep can do with him and um, you know how that that role talent can be sort of incorporated into the into the city model but you saw the game the other night and you think if everyone's fit Grealish is playing like the whole of March against Liverpool United Arsenal whoever because they just look a better team with him in it
0: and docker off the bench is a- Bit more of an exciting, dangerous prospect. That, oh yeah, at the start.
1: I think. Yeah, 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 and that is a you know another thing as well. I think Pep was talking about rotation the other week, and he said, well like, look at Kevin at Newcastle. He was on the bench and he won the game. Like any anyone who's on the bench has to have that mentality."
0: Can I get a prediction for you for Chelsea at home?
1: Well, I was spot on with three-one <laughs> against Copenhagen, so I'll go with three-one again. I want to say another four-four,
0: but I, I don't think so. I think. <laughs> I'll say two 0 I think City will just control it fairly easily. Yeah. Uh, let's see how those predictions come about. You can uh, find us next week when we uh, go through that Chelsea game and uh, look forward to. Is it Brentford? Brentford at home?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Double game week on Fantasy Football. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, let's see if anyone's uh, triple captain, Erling Haaland, and how he does on that. Let's uh, wrap up then for today. Thanks for joining us. Follow us as ever on all the social media platforms. It's like and subscribe on YouTube and we'll be back next week to uh, see how City got on against Chelsea and how Cole Palmer got on against City.